Hey guys, I'm Dr. Anu. And I'm Dr. Rashmi. And this is Gupshup. Um, We're in the cold weather, which is kind of like my favorite aesthetic temperature because you get to do all of these little like, I don't know, these little extra things. Um, So my question for you is like, what is the thing that you do to make yourself super cozy that feels so extra, but you will never, ever, ever give it up? I literally don't have an answer for that. You know what I did this weekend that made myself feel cozy? So Costco released a new line of jackets. Oh my God, say no more. I'm so interested. (laughs) (laughs) And listen, it had the faux fur. It had those like um, that stretchy material on it that like you can put your fingers through, right? Oh. Like the running ones, and it ha- and it was a puffer jacket. And I was like, and I saw it on Instagram, and I was like, you know what? I need this jacket, <laughs> and it doesn't say Kirkland's on it. So <laughs> <laughs> no, now so I'm interested. That sounds so cozy. It, it's so cozy, but I have been regularly trying to get facials uh, for myself especially as I'm getting older and I've noticed that I've been trying to do it (laughs) anytime I get stressed out I'm just like okay I need self-care I need a facial and that's been something that I have not been able to give up and I know that's very 1% sounding, but... No, I, I like that answer because I feel like I'm like that about massages. I'm very much like, uh, the tension. I feel it in my neck, which is actually totally true. Like, I do like I do get a very stiff neck, but, like, I don't know. I guess, like, back in the day, my mom used to just ask me to, like, punt her in the neck. <laughs> and that was free. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, I need a massage. Um, but I do very much feel that. To your Costco point... Every winter, they have the best blankets. So good. The fuzzy ones, so perfect for curling up on the couch and watching Great British Baking Show. I know. The coziest show ever. That's Um, true. Yeah, I just like, I am very, well, it's funny, right? Because like, I feel like when we were younger, we didn't like we did so many other things. Now I just want to go to Costco, mm-hmm. <laughs> buy the blankets, look at the Christmas trees in bulk, and buy jackets, which is a horrible place. Buy to yourself the, the best. Buy yourself the bougie coconut water, the harmless uh, coconut water. And it's you know so what? Good. I like to browse that book aisle in the middle um, of Costco to I see what too. Have. You know what? If you love like a trashy novel, they always have them. They have so many trashy novels. And then, but you know what I've started to do? And this is like, I don't know. I don't know why I do this. I like get take pictures of the novels that I want from Costco and then go on Amazon and get it for $2. Girl, I take pictures of the novels I want on Costco and put them on hold at the library. Oh my gosh, yes. The library. That's my new thing that I've come back to is the library. So I honestly probably in terms of self-care have gotten... I am such a huge like library app on your phone uh, advocate. I will advocate this for everybody because the library metrics are determined by how many members they have, right? Like it's not a for-profit thing. 
you never have to set foot physically in a library. I haven't been to a library in years. Oh, really? Yeah. I just got the card. You put it on an app on your phone and then you can borrow ebooks or audiobooks. It's great. Oh, my gosh. Clearly, I am so not with the times because I went to the library. I went to um, our local library and I wasn't even in the system anymore because it's been so long <laughs> since I've been. And then I went there and I was like, what? Like you can um, you you do auto renewal. What? You scan books now. You don't have a like a, Instead of the little you know, card. Like a, the little card. I was like, what century am I in? And they were like, you're, ma'am, like <laughs> you're in the 18th century. <laughs> I felt so like I felt so out of the loop like I was in some like weird world just because like you know when we were kids we always went to the library and like so we knew what that was right and then yeah. there's that stretch of time that we just like don't go yeah. most of us don't go and then now I'm, I've come back because you know my boys like to read and I need to like satiate their appetite of reading and <laughs> I can't afford to do it at Costco <laughs> Oh, absolutely. No, but I'm telling you, I mean, definitely take them because I feel like the library still has a lot of like activities for kids and stuff like that. Yes. Like I definitely have memories of going to the library for like, I don't know, they would have like little culture activities like they have one Lunar New yeah. Year and for mm-hmm. Diwali and whatever. They would have little like, you know, celebrations for little kids, but for the adults. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, speaking of which, I <clears throat> was at, I don't even know where I was, but I was browsing books because that's like my escapist, you know, way of doing things. And I was, um, and I actually came across a book called Real Self Care. Oh. And right. So I'm just like, <laughs> like what have I been doing? <laughs> and it was, it, so, you know, I picked it up. I started reading it and it's literally and, you know, I think this is why I don't focus on these like materialistic things as much as probably I used to. Mm -hmm. But essentially the book is written by a board certified psychiatrist uh, named Dr. Pooja Lakshman. She's also a clinical assistant professor at GW. I did some lurking on her and she also founded a mental health community Um called Gemma and it's for women and I think she does most of her work with like um, maternal you know like women of maternal age mm-hmm. and it was so interesting because I kept looking her up and she says you know one of her quotes says like you can't meditate your way out of a 40-hour work week with no children ch- sorry no child care without health insurance without access to actual real systemic support that is going to take care of the fact that our world is pretty much constantly on fire. And I was like, yes, that is 100% true. And then she argues like basically that like these mainstream self-care movements is superficial and materialistic. And you and I have kind of talked about it, right? Because it's these quick fixes or what she calls self-care and it doesn't address the root cause of our problems. And you and I were talking about how we have fallen into that so often. I mean, we're just talking about it, right? Like our panic at Costco over here. (laughs) Panic at the Costco. (laughs) 
Yeah, it really just doesn't do anything. Actually, you know what? Faux self-care or like going to get these facials, getting my hair done, right, regularly, every eight weeks. That's what they say, right? Making sure I, you know, have new clothes or you know, uh, making sure I have the makeup, which we talked about in the last episode, all these things are actually make give me more anxiety sometimes because I'm trying to keep up, right? I'm right. trying to keep up the appearance that I'm like doing a lot of self-care. I'm keeping up like appearances of trying to, uh, well, who am I impressing? I don't know. But essentially, right. like, I feel like I'm constantly keeping up and I'm like shelling out a shit ton of money not to feel that great. Absolutely. At the end, long term. Absolutely. So I was thinking about this, ironically, not, you know, not because of a beauty treatment, but because I joined a new um, workout studio. And I'm not knocking the workout. I'm not knocking workouts as a form of self-care. That's obviously, you know, for long term. Yeah. For everybody to decide whether that's fulfilling for them. What I'm saying is that like, this studio, which is kind of, it bills itself as like a luxury product, essentially a luxury service, not unlike, you know, a, a hair salon or a place that would do skin care treatments or whatever. A lot of these places have language that is like, you deserve it. Like, you have put your blood, sweat and tears into this capitalistic patriarchal system. And the your reward is getting to put your money towards something that's a little bit superficial but ultimately it still means you have to give something up whether it's your time at your job or your money for this self-care that they're telling you that you deserve but why does this corporation get to tell you what you do and don't deserve yeah and i think one of the big things especially as a millennial and a mom is that you know we're really juggling <laughs> being quote unquote good wife keeping our jobs caring for our kids if we have them caring for aging parents because we're a sandwich generation right and we're doing all of these things we're seeing world events unfold in rapid motion because of social media right we're seeing like history, uh, history being made as it's taking place in real time. Like all of that is so overstimulating. And yeah, you'll get like these Instagram videos or, you know, part. And what we like to do is like sometimes we'll start doom scrolling or we'll start to like have these escapist ways of getting in and out of things. But those, you know, I'll start doom scrolling and then I'll see a self-care ad or I'll see something that we should do or a face mask or an activity or a girl's night or, hey, there's a smoothie, which is mm -hmm. something that we talk about. And it's almost like, hey, use this face mask and that should take care of, not take care of, but that should ease everything that's happening to you. Right. Right. I mean, I see those things, too. And another type of video that I see that I think is almost equally insidious is these kind of like very curated life videos. I don't know if you've seen on like TikTok or Instagram reels. It's a woman who is beautiful and she is glowing and she is gliding through the world and she's inevitably thin and rich and white, um, you know, and she's gliding through the world looking like she's untouched by 
any problems, be they, you know, world problems, um, you know, different political things happening around the world, be they climate change, be they a 40 hour work week, financial issues. No, this woman is gliding through the world untouched. And I feel like the children have a name for this. It's called that girl. Like she's oh, the children have a name for the this. children have a name. <laughs> the youth have a name for this. It's called that girl. And so it's like, well, you know, and they, they have these a day in the life videos. And the the video is them, you know, getting up, doing some several hundred dollar skincare routine, going to a very fancy place and getting a very fancy a smoothie for like 40 bucks, then going to a very expensive yoga class, getting a very expensive massage, you know, and all of these things. Ultimately, it's like spend, 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 spend on these premium products. The message is, if you want to be like this girl, if you want to be unencumbered by the difficulties of life, you need to spend like $1,500 in a day doing mundane shit. And the thing is, it's so calming and soothing that you almost want to try. You're like, this woman doesn't have one single crow's foot because maybe she's not worrying, you know? Maybe she's oh. getting enough sleep. Maybe I need to have a $50 smoothie and, <laughs> you know, get a an algae face mask to not have my worries anymore. And that's just not true. That's not true. And one of the things that, that kills me is... There was a time that I went to a facial and I told the um, lady who was doing my facial, I was like, I just feel like my skin is thinning around my eyes. I think it's because I'm dehydrated and I don't like, you know, I'm not putting the right eye cream. Can you like give me an eye cream? And she just like looked at me and she was like, it's because you're 35, not because you're missing an eye cream. Hey. And she's like, it happens like it happens when you're a little bit old or as you know, once you hit 30, you're, it's going to be something that you see. So it's just really rough. And that's why I've like moved away because I'm never going to achieve that level. And also just having the consequence not consequences but how we grew up we aren't ever going to be able to like maybe our children will be able to to spend money on all these things i can't even put on a concealer that is more expensive than what i usually use and which i got for my birthday because it was too expensive and it wasn't right. even that much more expensive it was just more of a brand name and now i'm like nervous to use it. right well, <laughs> you know and I think, you know, I completely agree with that point. But I, I and I think the issue here is not just the spending money, but the implication that the more money you spend, the better you should feel. You know what I mean? So it's like, why buy a coffee? Why make a coffee at home when you could get a self-care coffee from Starbucks that's $9, which is not to say that you shouldn't be going and getting coffee from a local coffee shop or whatever. It's just to say that tying that to some kind of, as like an emotional self, tying that to a better emotional state, I think is a problem because it might give you a temporary little boost because you were aspiring for something and then you got it. But it's not... As uh, Dr. Lush Lushman pointed out in her book, as you said, 
it's not going to fix the systemic problems that are bogging everything, everybody down. It's not a $9 coffee is not going to change the fact that childcare in this country is inaccessible and wildly expensive. And that's what's stressing you out. So um, brown women, you know, are essentially we go toe to toe with these oppressive systems, whether it's kind of this deeply rooted marginalization, which we are impacted by in so many different ways. Of course, colonization, right? Our own generational trauma, racism, capitalism, patriarchy. I mean, I can go on and on and on. In some way, shape or form, we're dealing with some level of one of these oppressive systems at any given time, at any given day. And the interesting thing about second gen uh, second generation women is that we are so tied to this mixed and contradictory cultural expectations because not only are we expected a lot of times to be the breadwinners right and mm-hmm. or at least be financially you know responsible for bringing home a lot of money But on the other hand, we're still kind of ingrained to take care of the family, to cook, to make sure there's always something on the table, to make sure we're celebrating the holidays, make sure that we're meeting cultural expectations and we're doing it by tradition. Like keepers of culture, as you would say in your research. Yeah, like that we're keepers of culture. So when we're dealing with both ends of these uh, issues, it becomes even more difficult to like really even think about self-care like our parents generation like our moms were I feel like we're under this whole um, idea of like let's take care of everybody first and then we'll take care of ourselves and with most times being I didn't even get to that part right Right. and or they were just like self-care wasn't even like a thing back then because really like based on our research we kind of figured out that 2016 during that election season was when self-care really started to like I mean it's been around for a very long time right but it really started to pick up steam and popularity in 2016 during the election when you know so much turmoil was going on that people were saying like self-care 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 right and and you know i think that it truly started as something benign right i think that year for a lot of people of marginalized identities especially after that election and the fear of what was to come getting through every day seemed difficult at first right because everybody was so frightened of what was coming and so worried about what was going to happen next. And, you know, in the beginning, I think we were all just acknowledging that it was a crutch that, you know, we were using to try to get ourselves out of bed in the morning. Um, There was that Tina Fey bit on SNL right after the election where she was like, you know, you just need to eat a whole sheet cake and that's how you're going to get through this. And it was tongue in cheek and, you know, a lot of people were like, well, you're making light of very serious issues that are to come. But the point of that sketch was sometimes you just have to do something to get yourself through the day and get out of bed the next day. The problem, I think, really began when those small coping mechanisms, small coping mechanisms on a daily basis turned into, hey, we're just going to string a bunch of these together and tell women this is how they're going to get through their whole lives. 
Um, that is so true. That's absolutely what it is. It's, And I think that's very driven by social media. And I think that's very driven by like Instagram and making women stringing all of these things together in an effort to say, hey, this is my self-care routine. Well, if you, it's just all these individual, more expensive things. It's not consciously taking care of yourself mentally or spiritually, emotionally in order to, you know, cope with everything that's happening around you. Right. Exactly. What what started out as a crutch is now being billed as a solution, which it very much is not. And I think like one of the I think the main thing here, right, is with the election, with, you know, the fact that we're dealing with you know, a cultural identity crisis as brown women who are millennials is that, you know, at the end of the day, this status quo isn't working, right? Like the, the way we've been functioning, it's not working. And we need to recognize that our systems are actually broken. And that means that we need to start demanding massive and radical change. But that change really starts you know, within us, not by all these things that we're doing. And Dr. Lakshman in her book actually argues a lot about how, you know, she's she proposes a radical approach to self-care that is internal and self-reflective and, you know, for all intents and purposes, transformative, right? And she calls this real self-care. And she defines it as the practice of making choices aligned with our values and asserting our power. And then she also talks about it involving making difficult decisions in line with our values and then continuing to practice it in order to shift our relationships and how we are um within the context of these broken systems, which I think is so important and something you and I do all the time. I mean, you and I are both in therapy consistently. Very in much order. And that I think I've noticed like going to once I started going to therapy is when I started doing less and less faux self-care. I mean, I still do it. Don't get me wrong. Like a good Costco jacket and a facial is <laughs> going to get me through the day. But no, but I totally like you know you know that it's not standing in for some deeper internal work. Yeah, and like I've I've spent years doing deep internal work and very deep messy work and I'm in a much better place for it because like the ability to change the way I think given the oppressive norms that are enforced on me, right? Involuntarily, those are things that you know have changed my perspective of what self-care is. Yeah. Uh, no, absolutely. And I think the other thing is I spent a lot of, you know, my 20s, I think, kind of waiting until mentally I was at a breaking point with stress to go to therapy um, and kind of, again, using that as a temporary fix until I realized that this was going to have to be part of my real self-care routine. I was going to have to use therapy to reprogram my thought processes that were not useful to me. Um, you know, the way that I talked to myself was not necessarily kind or productive. Um, and so I realized that I couldn't be at a mental breaking point um, to address that really fundamental issue. And so Going to therapy as a force of as a form of self care, not just when you feel like you're about to snap, but as a 
as a maintenance thing to do for yourself. It's like you don't just take your car to the garage when the wheels are about to fall off, right? You go in for regular oil changes. You go in for maintenance work to make sure that it's always running at its best. And so I think that is what also a lot of self, real self-care is about. It's not just letting yourself get to a breaking point and then hastily coming up with, you know, something that you can cobble together that will get you through the day or the week or even the year. It's saying, what am I doing that isn't serving me? How am I thinking or how am I acting that isn't aligned with the type of person that I want to be or the type of life that I want to be living? So one of the big things that I've had to do or one of the big examples that I see about having to realign my individual choices and how I and my own beliefs, excuse me, in order to improve how I function in these larger social systems is when I think about being a good daughter-in-law. I lost my mom when right when I got married. Right. It was probably mm-hmm. within a few weeks of me getting married. And so, I mean, essentially, I didn't know how to be a good daughter in law. Right. I didn't know what was good. I didn't know what was bad. I didn't know what was appropriate, you know. Right. And there's only so much that <laughs> your dad can tell you as to what's good, especially because he has his own expectations of what a daughter in law should be. Right. Right. And he was never a daughter in law. So, Part of, you know, the last four years and like since I went to therapy, I remember in the beginning having I was so stressed out because I was like, I'm working full time. I'm grieving the loss of my mother. I'm doing all of these things. But but I still have to like come home and make um, roti and dinner and everything for my in-laws. I still have to put um, some kind of Indian dish on the table. And it's. I have to set boundaries and they never asked for it. It was just right. these social norms that were placed on me that or that were imposed on me that was involuntary. And it's just based on expectations. Right. Right. And so I had to like work with my therapist on uh, and she had to ask me, like, why? Why are you doing this? You know, like obviously more gently than that. But, you know, like going through these series of asking myself questions and like constantly realigning to what it is that I can do, redefining what it means to be a good daughter-in-law, you know, and, and not going again, not going towards what society thinks. All of those things make me a much better daughter-in-law today because I can be more present and less anxious. Right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. No, I, I agree with that. And I kind of had the same feelings on you know asking my husband to get involved with housework as well I mean he always did but specifically I used to do the majority of the cooking because you know as a a brown girl I was raised with the expectation that I would be doing the majority of the household cooking one day so I was exposed to it and he wasn't necessarily growing up and I remember when I first started asking him to get to take over dinners and stuff, right, you know, as soon as we got married, I would feel this guilt and I couldn't figure out. And I would say, I would ask him to do it. And then I would say, oh, no, I don't want you to do it. It's okay. Whatever, whatever. If you had asked me, you know, what do you think the the household chores sharing should be for a couple? 
completely took myself out of the equation. If you just said for any couple, A and B, um, who should do how much of the chores? I would say 50-50. Like the Mm -hmm. two people should split it up 50-50. And yet I found myself being like, well, I need to do the cooking and I need to do the laundry and I need to do this, that and the other. And again, my therapist was like, you are not practicing what you preach, you know, and you're not better for it. You're not more more moral or you're not rising above. You're not some kind of uber woman. You haven't won like an award. Right. All you're doing is you're burning yourself out and you're doing yourself a disservice because you know, you're just going to work yourself to the bone. You're going to create some sort of resentment. Um, and despite how uncomfortable it might be to go against the boundaries of the social norms that you were exposed to as a child and all the social norms that you internalized, that's clearly not fitting with your personal values. Your personal values are that everybody should take an equal part in the household and everybody should pull their weight equally. And so despite the fact that it seems very bizarre that you can hold one belief to be totally true, but your instinct can make you behave in a totally different way. I mean, it's definitely possible, right? You think one thing as a rational, logical, intelligent adult, but everything that you've seen up until this point in your life kind of forces you to want to do something else, something that feels comfortable, even if it's not serving. Yeah. And Dr. Lakshman also talks about kind of, she goes into these four principles, right? These four key principles and the top ones. And you and I have so many examples of where we didn't practice this or where we're trying to practice this. And, you know, one of the big ones and the first ones that she talks about is setting boundaries, right? Saying no to things that don't serve us, even if it means disappointing others. And I think this is so important because there it's twofold, right? Because not only are you learning to put up the boundary, but then you're also having to work through the guilt of that boundary. And that oh, itself okay. is very difficult especially for people like us. And it's beyond setting boundaries and really kind of sitting in your guilt and working through it in a way that doesn't um, derail you from the boundary itself. Absolutely. And that is very much easier said than done, right? It's one thing to mentally sit down and be like, I'm going to set this boundary and I'm going to enforce it and this, that, or the other. But when it is challenged by somebody that you care about or you feel like you owe something, it's so much harder to enforce. I mean, I was in a situation with a friendship that, you know, had been very strong for some years um, and then was kind of on shaky ground for a bit where I had to set some boundaries explicitly because I felt like some of my personal boundaries were being violated. And it's funny because in a friendship, you know, you don't really get a, a a roadmap of how to deal with a difficult situation like you do for like a romantic relationship or even a family re- relationship. And so I, I didn't really know how to set the boundary and I tried to set the boundary. Um, and, you know, it was a flexible boundary, but I really felt that I was having to enforce it over and over. And sometimes I didn't because the guilt was too strong for me. It was too strong for me to say to this person, you know, 
I'm not okay with you calling me past this time or I'm not okay with you dropping by unannounced. You know, it, it was these little things that the other person didn't mean in, in, um, in they weren't malicious. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. malicious. It wasn't malicious, but it was something that was a, a a violation of my boundary. And so the guilt that came with it was so, so, so strong. And ultimately, th- that relationship had to end because the angst that came from it was too much compared to the joy that I got from it. And honestly, I will say that that was a true moment of self-care for me because I think both me and that person are better off for having ended our friendship. But this huge moment of self-care in my life came with so much pain in the moment. Yeah. And like, you know, even when we have family members who speak disrespectfully to us right or they say things that are so far out of line and our natural inclination is that if if somebody who is not our family were to speak to us like that or to engage us in that way we would cut them off or there would be something said but we're dealing with so much guilt external guilt by like family members or you know people who say oh just sweep it under the rug like oh my god don't mess up the family dynamic you know and all of these things happen and i know so many brown women who deal with this on a daily basis who can't even get past level one which is boundary setting because they're dealing with so many external forces that are constantly pushing down guilt um, from them. And like, sometimes I think about like the levels of boundary setting. Yours came with so much pain because, but it was, to me, it's it's a, a little bit more isolated, right? Because you yeah. could still say to your friend, like you could consciously make that decision and it caused you a lot of pain within yourself, but it wasn't, there wasn't pressure from other people exactly right there's also on the other end of the spectrum that boundary setting of having to deal with a decision that impacts a much larger more tied in group of people with so many opinions and when something like that happened to me I mean you were there like the amount of backlash that I got because I set a boundary for myself because I'm not going to let that kind of behavior impact my family became such a, a fight within family members and everybody because I chose to set a boundary that but you know how much I I talked to you about like the guilt that ate me right. up inside about it right absolutely and you know that situation is I think something that a lot of brown women face on different levels I mean the, the situation of having to cut off somebody or set a boundary with somebody who's relatively close to you because of their behavior. And it's so difficult, especially coming from a collectivist culture, because intrinsically, it's a situation where everybody feels that they can be in everybody's business. Always. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, how many times have you gotten an unwarranted comment and you know, the person that's giving you the comment is saying, oh, well, you know, I'm just doing it because I am worried about your well-being or, you know, I'm I'm your I'm your elder and I'm just trying to look out for you. And it it 
feels just like an excuse to mouth off about other people. But there's this cultural expectation that you're just supposed to accept it and take it and move on. And so when you set a boundary against people like that, it makes you seem like some sort of absolutely norm destroying asshole. (laughs) It's like, who, who is this bitch who's rocking the boat? But you have to do it for you other you have to do it for yourself otherwise every family interaction becomes a nightmare and the inside of your brain becomes a terrifying place to live exactly and like and and speaking of that right is like it kind of goes with dr lush luxman's second principle which is talking to yourself with compassion Mm -hmm. right because like like you said, when you get when you start setting your boundaries, like that's the first kind of hump that she talks about is the second one being talking to yourself with compassion, because it's so easy to like hear everything that's swirling around you and what people are saying and start thinking about how you're a bad person or how you're breaking up the family or, you know, whatever is happening that is your fault. And I think that kind of um, like like you were saying, like it doesn't help when brown families are so collectivist that one person veering away and setting boundaries makes them look like they're complete assholes that have broken up entire families. And Mm -hmm. part of that, like during that time when I had my own boundary setting issues, I had to really kind of slow down and i've had i had to convince myself that i it wasn't me and sometimes i had to look to you to tell me that it wasn't me right, right. like sometimes i needed my village of ex, like external validation to help me change my thinking cuz i wasn't strong enough and and i don't know if i still am strong enough to be honest to change my thinking and I do need some of that external validation. I hope to get there one day. I'm not there right now. I mean, that's that's the crazy thing, right? Like if you if that I'm sure that if that situation was me and you were giving me the advice, you would have absolutely validated my decision. But there's something about it being internal to a person that really like prevents you from from seeing it with the kind of compassion that you should have for yourself. It's so funny that we're raised in a way to be more compassionate to other people than we are to ourselves. Um, But, you know, that's it's totally the case for so many of us. Like, you know, in in the situation that you were talking about, there was no doubt in my mind that you setting the boundary was the correct thing to do. Um, But you were having trouble seeing it yourself because it's it's hard to value yourself correctly. It's so hard to value your own thoughts and feelings and opinions um, like they're equally valuable to those of other people. And I think that's a huge I think that's a huge hump in this in this being compassionate to yourself. You know, it's not I think there's a difference between sometimes when I talk, especially to older people about this kind of thing. They immediately want to say, oh, well, you're just going to give yourself permission to do whatever. You're just going to give yourself permission to be rude and heinous and this, that and the other. And no, it's not being permissive with yourself, right? It's not. 
<laughs> right. It's not like I'm not just going to go like walk up to somebody and say they're ugly and punch them in the face. Like that's not what compassion to myself is. It just means that when I am feeling some kind of discomfort, I say to myself, okay, you don't have to endure this discomfort. You wouldn't expect somebody else to endure some severe discomfort on your account, would you? So why are you enduring some severe discomfort on somebody else's account? And I also think like there's something to note here. The reason I really feel like we struggle with our own compassionate self-talk and our own kind of lifting ourselves up internally, right, is the fact that we have always sought external validation always like that is how we get we as brown millennials brown millennial women to push it a little bit further the majority of us have had to do that right we got good grades we uh the, married. the pleasure to have in class comment in oh, on the report yeah. card was so it was like the best thing that you could ever have on a report card Exactly. And like, you know, um, you were a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. I don't know. But like, you know, you were always like I was I was one of them. I'm craving all the time external validation, because if I was validated, then that means I was doing the right thing. And I had a blueprint and I knew what would make my mom and dad happy. I knew what would make society happy. And I would just, you know, truck along and check, 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 mm-hmm. check. But now that I'm veering from that and saying like, mm, yeah, this doesn't work for me. And everybody's coming in at me to say like, oh, my God, this is so wrong. Oh, my God, you're breaking families up. You're doing this. You're doing that. Like I have to I'm I've spent 36 years getting validated externally that it's really hard for me to move into an internal validation internal compassion right stage. and it's it's harder right it takes mental creativity it's so easy to just turn your brain off and say i'm going to follow the blueprint somebody else has for me it is so you don't have to use your brain for that you don't have to make any decisions you just have to boop 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 move along and when you're a little kid it's really not it doesn't matter one way or the other because you know, at that point, you need the guidance. But once you're an adult and you start running into this question of other people's guidance is causing me physical discomfort or mental discomfort, um, then for the first time, you really have to start exercising that brain and saying, well, what do I want? And this is a question I ask my therapist a lot. And I think this is something that a lot of brown girls, I mean, brown people, but brown women in particular struggle with it is, what do I want? You know, after all of these years, you know what you don't want because you keep reacting to the things around you that make you feel uncomfortable. But have you sat down with yourself and explored your own values? Have you really dug deep inside and said, where do I go? What what will make me feel fulfilled? What will make me feel like my life is worth living? And, you know, I think for a lot of us, we're coming to it late because we were for so much of our lives told where we should go or what we should be doing with our lives. Um, And so, you know, it's just now maybe in our 20s or 30s or 40s, we're saying, well, wait a minute. I've never said just what I want. Yeah. And I think that like really falls in. And the reason why I really like uh, Dr. Lakshman's book is because. It's really simple 
in terms of like, hey, these are your four principles that you really need to look into. But thinking about it through the lens of being a brown woman is where you really start thinking of it much deeper. And like her principle number three, which you kind of led right into is getting clear on your values. And this is so hard for anybody, but especially I feel like for um, brown women, because, you know, you're literally relying on your internal lens in order to make these much bigger life choices that align with your morals and values and beliefs, right? But what what happens when you don't know what those morals and beliefs and values really are because you're following a blueprint of external validation, right? And on top of that, like, when you're asking yourself the question, are you happy? Well, how do you know what makes you happy if you spent all your life under somebody else's values and beliefs and morals and their own blueprint? Right. And even deeper, what does happy mean to you? If you've gone your whole life thinking happy means somebody else patting you on the back and saying, good job. And now you have to contend with a definition of happy that doesn't rely on somebody else. It's really hard to know how that feels, even into the very basic, like how that physically feels in your body. You know, you it's something completely new. It's something completely different that you have to learn to look for. Um, and but it, when you don't even know what to look for and I think about like the fact that <laughs> my conclusion I wrote like check 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 like I've done all these things for my parents or you know society at large right to be the good Indian girl and I followed this blueprint but then like like what am I doing you know and it's really really hard when all you know how to do is blueprint off something else Right. And and at this point, truthfully, I could tell you that I don't know what happy is. I, I think that there are moments when I'm content, but I don't think that I understand at this point what happy means. Uh, I don't know if I'll ever get there. I think it's something that I, I'm going to have to work towards the rest of my life because, you know, I haven't been able to nail it down. And that's like depressing to think about right and I think like part of the reason why we're doing this podcast is we're exploring what makes us happy and you know talking about women's issues talking about our research talking about academia like those are things that make us happy and you and I talk about it all the time we know this and right. so it's like let's start here and then let's see let's see where happiness level is right but also it's that like to find that internal lens also means for brown women to step outside yourself which is impossible some for some women to do like that stage fright to step outside yourself to yeah. like almost take this meta look at your life and say like what like this is not what i wanted is right. really hard because a lot of women like to check box and silo their life and say well in the boundary of this blueprint if I did all these things, that should equal me being happy. And so I did all these things, so I'm happy. But then if you actually like turn around and look at your life, you're going to be like, I don't have, I don't really 100% know what my values are. I don't know what my morals are. I don't think I'm happy. Right. And I think that's hard. Well, and I think that for women more than men, the messaging that you get from outside is just 
It's just nonstop. You are pelted day in and day out with the things that you should be doing. It's really, really, really challenging to consciously try to shut it all out, to consciously try to stop the barrage. And I think at, at this point in, the, in my mid-30s, I've finally gotten to the point where I have moments where I can shut out all that messaging. I don't even think it's constant. I think that I just have some moments of clarity where I can shut out all that messaging and really think about what makes me happy. And so, you know, it's depressing, but it's an uphill climb. And I think it's a lifelong battle because there's truly nothing external in the society that we live in that wants us to have a moment of peace and dig deep and figure out how to be our truest happiest selves yeah yeah and the last part is <laughs> you're just like leading into my next one i think <laughs> which works out but like my la last one that dr lakshman talks about right the fourth principle is like asserting your your power completely with all of those three things i think in mind and essentially it's obviously standing up for yourself and your needs even when it's difficult and you know like we were saying, every single principle is so difficult that by the time you get to that fourth principle, like, you know, it's you're either going to do it or you're not, mm -hmm. you know, and I think that's the big thing there. I also think what's really interesting and we kind of touched on this in like previous episodes is this idea of, you know, when you have certain privileges to also use that to assert your power, right? So mm -hmm. um, being having lighter skin, having more financial resources, being able bodied and, um, you know, really kind of giving back to your community, setting boundaries in your communities in order to and changing narratives within your communities, because you have these powers that you can use. And that itself is a form of self-care.